This is your host Shane with Radical Rocks. Today we've got a very exciting episode for you. We're going to talk about a rock hotel. It's actually a museum and a hotel. We're going to talk about the second most popular gemstone. Actually, what the first one is, I was kind of surprised. We're going to talk about how dinosaurs are actually shrinking. I found a great story on a terrifying turkey dinosaur and also a blind lapidarist. So um, if we have time, we will also go into the world's rarest minerals. So before we get into it, I want to thank everybody for tuning into the show, for supporting the show. You can get all of our links at our blog at radicalrocksusa.blogspot.com. I will put that in the description as well as other links and get connected with our social media, our videos, and uh, blogs and all that good stuff. Okay, let's get right into it. Um, first off, uh, there is a wire wrapping three-week course that I stumbled upon at the patch.com wire wrapping three-week course. Um, now they are kind of expensive, but uh, there's a wire wrapping raw gemstones, uh, which is Thursday, uh, October the 15th, coming up pretty soon. Another one on the 22nd, the 29th. Uh, one is making a ring with wire wrapping. And the other one is caging a gemstone. So just bringing it to everybody's attention that there are, you know, ways to get your rocks and make things that are beautiful out of them with just wires. You don't even need a bunch of specialized tools or torches. I mean, it does help to have some pliers and cutters and things like that. But these classes are pretty expensive. 120. Um, they are, uh, I believe they're digital. But, you know, the clubs, the rock and mineral clubs that are near you that you can look up uh, very easily by doing a search usually have much more affordable wire wrapping classes. So look those up and do something like that. It's a lot of fun. Okay, the second most uh, popular blue gemstone. Now, I'd been reading so much about tanzanite that I thought you know, Tanzanite is first. According to this article on the digital um, digital journal, it says that uh, Sri Lanka is one of the most reputable sellers of, ju- of gemstones, and Tanzanite is one of the company's best sellers. But it said um, that uh, Tanzanite is much appreciated stone as to the alternative of blue sapphire. So apparently this is indicating that blue sapphire is the first most popular stone, which I was kind of surprised. But it said that uh, an alternative to the blue sapphire is the tanzanite in royal blue. Uh, It was kind of nice here. It went into some detail. Um, It said that it is a uh, tanzanite has acquired a worldwide appeal. It's the most popular form of the mineral zoisite. It can be a reddish brown in its natural state and obtains an amazing deep blue color after heat treatment. So thulite and analyte are other forms of zoisite. Tanzanite scores between 6 and 7 on the Mohs hardness score. And although it's hard, 
And this is something I was surprised. It says it's brittle, so I guess it's kind of like an emerald. So it says it's best used for special occasions um, because of the color and everything. But, uh, you know, using a soft brush and gentle water are recommended for um, cleaning. Anyway, there's more uh, more information on this uh, beautiful blue zoisite. But the thing I got out of it was I was surprised that uh, that the most popular blue gemstone was still sapphire. So kind of interesting there. Now I did uh, do I do talk about some of these things, and they may sound a little repetitive. This is actually a different one. Uh, there is a college that is making using mineral kits to allow students to work hands free hands on from home because you know with the shutdown and everything schools are not having a lot of hands on still in some areas this was written by Emmy Lou and Daniel Modesto, Modesto on the 12th and it it shows up in the darthmouth.com on, under the title material kits allow students to work hands-on from home. Sorry, I had to get a little swig of coffee there. Um, these kits that they made, they looked at getting ones off of Amazon, you know, like the ones you see, like how the earth works or, um, you know, crystals or this or that. But they weren't really what exactly what they wanted. So they talked to the company and they were able to get these custom orders done and then they use their own in-house wood shop and print shop to make these custom kits for beginners and uh, really cool and you can read more about this article if you want but uh, just uh, it's nice to see that these things are still ongoing now what about going to a rock hotel does that sound interesting to you this article is in the rrdailyherald.com, a rock museum and a hotel. More business opens up in Scotland Neck. So this is by Carolyn Harmon, and um, it was written on the 13th. But they have an actual hotel and museum here in Scotland. And as I looked through the article, I saw that they do a lot of wonderful things um, for kids and for people who are interested um, they opened the hotel um, in 2004, it looks like, and they used to work in New Jersey. Now, they actually go to America uh, to go prospecting and or get rocks and go rock hounding and things like that, and they talk about that. But they have this huge collection there and a museum that you can go to. Um, they have the phone number here, the Scotland Neck Inn. Um, they got the phone number, is 252 eight two six five one four one and um they have classrooms and they have a shop they have training for kids schools can go through here groups uh things like that they have rock tumbling they have some classrooms there full of rocks and gyms um they've got some little animals there for the kids they show them about the cabochons and how they polish and they make necklaces and belt buckles and they tour with the students and help them have their hands on there so they can see how it works see how the rocks are split do a scratch test do a hardness test find out how minerals are each child uh, gets a magazine and a rock collection and an egg carton uh, printed material, safety glasses, and earplugs when they get to see the rock saw 
being used outside. Um, so, and the article goes into a little bit more uh, information on the museum um, having displays of corals and dinosaur bones, seashells, uh, fluorescent material, minerals, and so on and so forth. So, pretty neat little article, pretty neat little place to maybe check out. Another museum digs into Archaeological Month. Um, this is Marietta in Ohio. And what I liked about it is this article, which is at www.newssandsentinel.com. Um, let's see if it was written by anyone. Campus Martinius Museum digs into Archaeological Month. Um, they really do focus on the Ohio fossils, and there's a lot of uh, information in here and links um, that you could check out more on their fossils. They talk about um, kids being, uh, you know, encouraged to do this. Uh, they got a simulated dig. You can examine fossils and much other things. So kind of cool. Now, believe it or not. There is a rockhounder who is the only blind lapidarius in the U.S. that we're aware of. Um, the article is www.powelltribune.com. And uh, the, it says a smooth touch local rockhounder is the only blind lapidarius in the U.S. And I thought this was really a heartwarming story about Gary Olson. Um, who laughs while visiting with Dan Dalton in his uh, Powell garage where they live. And um, they they go rock hounding together. Um, they, he cuts gems. He enjoys certain gems over other gems based on the texture. Um, really a neat story. Um, he was blinded at birth um, when he was born in the early 50s because he was put in this uh, oxygenization chamber which apparently this did cause a lot of blindness to a lot of kids you know inadvertently trying to help them because they were blue and they looked like they were dying and uh, somehow the oxygen goes behind the eye and causes this damage and so he's never known sight but he's loved rocks since he was a young boy um, tumbling rocks and he can set them I mean he can make jewelry he can grind them he has really learned how to um, be efficient so it just goes to show you know don't uh, count someone out just because they um, you know have a disability or something like that um, when we have this fine example of someone who just loves rock hounding. His wife says she's his second love. I mean, this guy is really into rock hounding. He uses polishers, saws, grinding, all kinds of things. Really neat. Really heart-touching story. Now, this is a dinosaur that I mentioned, but this article really caught my eye. Terrifying new species of turkey-like dinosaur discovered in the Gobi Desert. And uh, credited by Michael W. Shrimpinick. And uh, this is at uh, www.sci-fi, which is spelled S-Y-F-Y dot com. And these birds, we talked about them. They um, were birds uh, with no teeth. Uh, they felt that they were some kind of a, you know, maybe a missing link between a lizard and a, and a bird. But now... Um, this article, they have a lot more pictures of the um, bones and stuff. I was impressed with this article. The 
O Veriposaurus that prowled the earth uh, during the late Creaceous period is uh, a feathered uh, omnivore that existed uh, millions and millions of years ago, they say, in Asia and North America is what they're guessing. And this bird was six point six and a half feet long, uh, toothless, and it looked like uh, it was quite a, uh, a predator, is what they're thinking. So who knows? These things always change. In fact, uh, when we get into the next article about the world's dinosaur shrinking, uh, we'll see even more. But this one was really good because they have the bones right there. So um, when they're all together like that, that really tells a big story. There's some great graphics on the bones here. Um, the paper, what they've investigated, um, shows that they originally had found a flock of them suggesting that the young would stay together uh, in this species, as they found with many dinosaurs. So why is the world's biggest dinosaur shrinking? Why do dinosaurs keep getting cut down to size? I thought this was a really great article. It goes into some deep detail. We will um, just do the highlights, but it's in www.scientificamerica.com. The article was written on the 13th by Riley Black, and first it starts off with this magnificent picture of what appears to be somewhat of a brontosaurus and the head is like a skyscraper in comparison to the body and uh, it looks like a skyscraper <laughs> but they said that they are finding um, that most of these dinosaurs that are put together you know they're only being put together with very very few bones so one example here is the reconstructed skeleton of a hundred million year old dinosaur that was so huge it didn't even fit the whole thing inside the room where it stood. The dinosaur's long necks, bulging body, and tail stretched out to 120 feet, with the animal weighing an estimated 70 tons, but it shrunk. Okay, so they did more studying, they found more bones, and now it's down to 57 tons. Now, that's that's pretty good weight loss, 57 to 70. I mean, that's, that's a lot. Um, also, it's gotten much smaller because they just they haven't found all of the, the bones they have a neck um, they have a head they have a few other bones on some of these so they just don't know it seems through the 70s and the 90s um, it was kind of like a contest of who could find the biggest dinosaur but one dinosaur that we know because of such complete fossils have been found and a lot of times they find the pieces fairly close together, so they've got an idea. It must have been about this big. Is a T-Rex, 40 feet long, 9 tons. Very large dinosaur um, that belonged to a group of seropods. Okay? So these type of dinosaurs um, were identified very well. Now, Brontosaurus and other ones were plant eaters were considered to be the longest at all. But again, like I said, in the 70s and the 90s, they kept finding other ones that uh, they said, oh, these are even bigger, these are huger. Um, and they gave them names like Ultrasaurus, Supersaurus, uh, Semi-Monstrous, uh, you know, and all these other names. But as the time went on, these stories, uh, like Ultrasaurus, turned out to be misidentified and not to be quite so uh, huge as what they had originally thought. So this is why these dinosaurs are shrinking. And, 
you know, a lot of times you don't hear about it. You just hear the exciting story, maybe on the news. Oh, the biggest dinosaur ever was discovered. It's twice as big as a brontosaurus, you know, or whatever. But they never go back and say, oh, you know what? They found this information, and uh, it's actually probably not that big. It's it's only, a you know... Uh, two-thirds that big or whatever the case is but there is a lot of big dinosaurs there's no doubt that there are some huge huge dinosaurs but uh, they're getting shorter and shorter with more information um, and and that is a kind of interesting so I think we've gone through this information pretty quickly and I think we have some time um, if we if I had it here um, we can go through some of the oh i remember the rare the mo, the world's most rare minerals so this article was written quite a while ago um in uh, 2016 in february and it's entitled the world's rarest minerals and for some the total supply is less than a sugar cube so you can think of a sugar cube about the size of your thumb, I guess, a little square there. And one of these, and I'm probably going to slaughter these words, so I'll try to spell them out as well, is the ichnusite. Sate. It's I-C-H-N-U-S-A-I-T-E. Ichnusate something like that. Now this was created through a subterranean mashup of a radioactive element, um, thorium, and a lead-like like molybdenum with only one specimen ever found in Chardinia. And scientists have inventoried and categorized all of the Earth's rarest mineral species described to date. And they are sampled from five they have to have been found at five or fewer sites around the world. And several of these are to have known to have a, a supply smaller than that of a sugar cube. Now, how many of these super rare minerals are there in total? There are some 2,550 minerals that are more rare than the pricey diamonds and gems that we see that uh, are given as tokens of affection but they're not going to work in a ring the article says because several of them are prone to melt to evaporate or dehydrate and some of them are like a vampire they decompose upon exposure to sunlight now some of them are you are able to keep but the valuable thing about some of these minerals is they give clues they give clues about the subsurface conditions or, in some cases, the surface conditions and elements that created them as well as insights into the planet's biological upheavals. So, in, in fact, some of these rare minerals represent the Earth's truest distinction from all other planets, according to the authors of the paper that is going to appear on this, or did appear on this, in the American Mineralogic mineralogists. Now, the rock that we talked about, or the mineral that we talked about before, the uh, itch, I think it's itch new sate, or sa sate, S-A-I-T, it is created through 
this radioactive element of theron like a lead-like molybdenum and one species only ever found so they're kind of repeating themselves there but they have an image of it if you want to see it um, you can go to http semicolon backslash backslash bit dot ly backslash one uh, large caps in and large caps u n i and then large large caps m large cap x and uh, they have a picture of it there where you can see it and there's one here there's only one that's ever been found that's rare right <laughs> so if you think about all the minerals that make up the earth right there's over 5,000 known minerals that make up the earth right do you know that only a hundred of them make up 90% of the earth's crust so the other really you know almost 5,000 really um, make are rare are much rarer so it's very very small percentage of these that we are aware of um, now it says of the 5,090 uh, roughly 2,555 are classified as rare as we mentioned so this helps scientists rethink animal vegetable or mineral because some of these minerals are so strange the way they act um, they don't grow and they're not sometimes entirely from the ground they are sometimes from conditions they're caused by conditions so one example is one of these minerals it doesn't really get found on the earth very often but it, it it's it's a simple uh, you could use a kitchen stove to make it and a pressure cooker according to dr. Hazen and um, make some of these minerals so just by getting of course you'd have to get it really really hot it's uh, you know certain temperature but mixing them and putting them at a certain pressure and a certain temperature boom that's the only way that some of these minerals can occur um, a my site is a category one rarity formed from common elements but requires extremely precise contention conditions of temperature just like we said and pressure and composition to form it's only known in two locations um, it was named from a French physicist who found it Goavani and um, let's see if we see what it's called well it'll tell us about it here in a while some minerals are rare because they form from common ingredients they must be cooked and very very controlled conditions for example the mineral Hat Hatrurite. Hatrurite. So this is a Hatrurite, I believe. The most abundant, it's made out of the most abundant, um, three of the Earth's most abundant elements, calcium, silicon, and oxygen. But Hatrurite forms only in a very restricted environment with temperatures above 1,250 Celsius. Wow, super, super hot. Um, and also it's in the absence of one very common element which is aluminum so knowing these very very dialed in combinations of circumstances involves a rare minerals cre um, creation in most cases and that's why they are or are not present at specific depths um, and sometimes acidity also becomes different below the surface so now one of the other things that is 
uh, element that plays in rare minerals is planetary constraints. Some of these minerals um, could only be encountered or created um, on the Earth because of the situation of the environment. Um, Neva, Nevada 8, Category 1 and 2, Mineral Rarity. This one looks like kind of like a pillow folded up with a point on top with little blue dots all over it. And they have a picture of it here. It's N-E-V-A-D-A-I-T-E. Navadite? Navadite? Something like that. They're rare because their ingredients are almost never found concentrated in the Earth's crust. Therefore, it's very scarce. Uh, Elements such as beryllium, hafium, and tellurium from relative few minerals that most species are rare. Then there's uh, other minerals which are form from very extreme and unusual conditions such as cold or dry environments and then they simply melt, evaporate, or dehydrate when exposed to surface conditions. One crystalline is a methane hydrate. It's found in core samples from the continental shelf and the Arctic drill sites. It evaporates at room pressure. Also, there's water-soluble minerals that can be underreported and appear to be rare but more than 100 mineral species can persist in dry elements for many years only to be washed away in a rain event. Um, And there's other examples of this. Now, also, another reason minerals can be very rare is because there are places that geologists, geologists rarely ever sample. And those minerals just come from undersampled regions because their extreme environments, such as the flanks of an erupting volcano, right? Or these frigid remote regions of Antarctica and the deepest um, depths of the ocean. These are things that are not sampled very often because, you know, you just can't get there unless you use a robot to get to the bottom of the ocean or, you know, you might freeze to death. There's a lot of ice in the way of Antarctica. And then also volcanoes, you know, if you're at the mouth of a volcano, you could get burned up. Um, so those are some. Some of these minerals could be much more common um, and represented in mineral museums include a whole host of species that are difficult to recognize because of their lack of colors or their showy crystal faces. Most mineral collectors, of course, favor the more beautiful eye-popping ones. Now there is this one, um, Otonite, named after Oto Mountain in San Bernardino County, California, incorporates the extremely rare element of tellurium, tellurium, category 2 in rarity, and is microscopic, very difficult to spot in the field. Category 4, and they have a link where you can see a picture of it here, and it looks like um, little... Um, linear crystals um, stacked on each other. There's some cross formations here and uh, they're kind of needle-like all close tight together. Positive sampling um, also can affect um, perceptions of a mineral's rarity. So in searching for deposits of gold, uranium, and rare earths uh, needed by the electronics industry, for example, they've led to the discovery and reporting of certain mineral specimens or species 
um, at more locales relative to the commercial importance of elements, according to this report. So there is a whole bunch of minerals that actually um, are formed also under extremely restrictive conditions, are very rare, and they are water-soluble. Um, fingerite is a perfect storm of rarity. It disappears when rained on. <laughs> um, it, it comes from the dangerous volcanic um, fumarous, fumaroles when active volcanoes are uh, spewing and sputtering. And this fing fingerite is known to form only near the summit of a Zalco volcano in El Salvador. And um, a lot of information on this. Now there's also biologic biological versus mineralogical rarity. So some of these are actually biological things that happen that make these minerals um, to appear and they disappear. Rare mineral authors say the key to understanding the diversity and disparity of the Earth's mineralogical environments, they often point to uh, extreme compositional regime, regimes that can arise in the Earth's shallow crust and um, they go on and on that some of these um, will be found in very niche areas and uh, that there is possibility that there's much more of them out there. So some of the ones that are not going to be found are carbon-based minerals. And um, there's actually um, an effort to discover the several of these carbon minerals that they feel uh, are out there and uh, hundreds of them, I believe. So I think in the notes, um, some of the authors of this were Robert Hazen uh, and uh, Jesse Asubel, Asubel. Um, and he was, uh, you know, these guys are super smart. He mentioned, where was it, where was it, where was it? Um, here it is. Dr. Hazen and his colleagues estimated that more than 1,500 mineral species remain undiscovered, and of the roughly 5,000 known species, only about 8%, uh, which would be about 406, contain carbon elements. So an estimated 150 carbon-bearing minerals are unknown to science, and as of December 15th, a deep carbon observatory created a public challenge to find them by 2019. And there's a website here noting the most likely locations to find them. So if you want to check that out, go to http semicolon backslash backslash mineralchallenge.net. So there you go with the rarest minerals. Maybe not the most valuable, but the most rarest. Um, with that, we're going to come to a conclusion. Please check out our links. Please be, join our social media and all that good stuff. And remember, rock hounds don't die. They petrify.